are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. The Parable of the Lost Son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he was with him and back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who had squandered your property with prostitutes, came home, you killed a fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Well, thank you, Carol, for reading. That was a 
mouthful and a half, so thank you. That was a lot of scripture. My name is Lane. Today we're going to talk about God's attributes, and today the attribute we're going to focus on is his mercy. And so to answer the question that I asked and didn't actually get a chance to answer, um, my favorite summer activity is spending time with my daughter and wife and getting to see her explore the world. We were at a wedding last night, and although she was not happy the whole time, she was really enjoying just seeing everything and being around and being a part of the whole festivities. And so my daughter's name is Phoebe, and then my wife is Ainsley. And if you want to see the real thing, they're right over there, so you can say hi afterward. But I just want to emphasize the things that I've learned through fatherhood in the past little bit. Although it has been awesome and fun to see her exploring the world. She's six months old. We've had some difficulties. There's been some times where patience has been tested, not a ton, because she's pretty easy. But it's just been some long nights and some things that have really pushed kind of us to a little bit of our limits. And we have learned a lot about what we're going to talk about today through fatherhood and through motherhood. And so in the past couple weeks, we've talked about justice, righteousness, and goodness. And today I get the opportunity to share about God's mercy. So we'll jump in. So just to kind of give us a framework of what mercy means when I'm talking about it, Jill gave a great explanation. It's not getting what we do deserve. Also, I would expand on that by saying God's mercy is expressed primarily through his steadfast commitment to his love for his people, especially when we don't deserve it. And I did a little bit of Hebrew digging. I picked up my old Hebrew Bible and brushed the dust off and went in this week and found a couple words that are really fun to say. So rachamim is this kind of Hebrew word for mercy. So we can all say it together because it's kind of fun to say. You got to get the throat going. Rachamim. There we go. And so that's the first kind of mercy that we'll be talking about today. And so as we look at God's mercy, we receive it as compassion and love when we don't deserve it, like Jill was talking about today. And even more, we receive it as not receiving punishment when we do deserve it. So grace and mercy kind of fall hand in hand last week, and Bjorn referenced that justice and love come together to make grace. And so I want to just distinguish a little bit between those two because they do live very close to one another. Grace is easier for me to understand because it's God giving me what he wants to give me as a gift. Mercy has been harder for me to understand. As I've been digging into this, it hasn't gotten any easier for me to understand. So I don't know if that's good news or bad news as I'm up here preaching about mercy, but I'll let you decide. It is one of the characteristics of God that seems to go against most other characteristics. So when you compare mercy and justice... They don't really seem like they fit. When you compare mercy and fairness, they don't seem like they fit in how we define fairness. Sometimes God's mercy is in contradiction with our perception of how people should be lovingly disciplined. Because I know in raising children, it's kind of hard to not discipline sometimes. Otherwise, you end up with spoiled kids, and that's no fun. To make this a little bit easier today, we're going to look at the long story that Carol read for us. So if you guys want to turn... Two. Let me see if I can find it here. It's going to be primarily around page 849. Um, so if you guys want to turn there in the blue Bibles on your tables, I'm just going to give a little bit of a contextualization for where it fits, and then we'll jump in. So to understand mercy easier, we need to look at the whole bigger picture where this story falls. So in Luke 15, it is a couple stories about lost things and how God works hard to find them. So often the character that is the seeker is God in these stories. And the lost thing represents us as sinners. 
And so this is surrounded by a story of a coin and a sheep. And then the longest and most impactful of these stories is this parable. And so in it, we find Jesus in a space where people wouldn't often assume that he would be. He is in the house of a sinner, it says, probably Matthew's house or maybe Zacchaeus's house. Those are the two spots that it would make the most sense. And he is hanging out, eating dinner, enjoying conversation with people who are far from God. And so he has come into their world. And the church leaders, the Pharisees, really do not approve of this. They uh, look at him and say, why are you eating with these people? And why are you eating with people who you've never eaten with us, maybe is what they're thinking. Um, Why are you doing this instead of eating with me? So this is where Jesus began to tell his stories. And so Carol read it. I'm just going to give a little bit of a recap because it was so long. I forgot most of it already. The story is called The Prodigal Son. In it, there's a man with two sons. He is referring to the two groups of people in the room, really the three groups of people in the room. The first son, we can assume through the story, is referring to the sinners in the room. And so the people who the Pharisees are saying, you shouldn't be eating with them. The older son is referring to the Pharisees themselves. And as a group of people sitting in a church, we probably connect more with the Pharisees in this story, most of us. They're the churchgoers, the people who are living the right life, they're doing the right things. And so... The story starts with the father showing mercy to his son. He rebels against him. He asks for his estate, what he is owed when the father dies. He asks for it on the front end. And so he's saying, Father, I wish you were dead, essentially, which is tough. And then he takes that inheritance. He goes, he abandons his home, he abandons his community, he abandons his family, and goes and lives like a wild man. And so he estranges himself from his family and from those who love him. He goes, and God, in this instance, doesn't fight him which is crazy to me. It doesn't show any instance of that in this verse. God just willingly, the Father, willingly gives him what he asks, which is mercy that I cannot comprehend. In my family, we've experienced situations of estrangement like this where, man, I wasn't going to cry today, but here we are, where one of our family members, sometimes several, my father's family has experienced this with my father, my sister um, has experienced this in my own family, and um, Ainsley's experienced it a little bit in her own family, and so this is something that's close, and I cannot imagine responding in the way that God does. And so, if you want to talk to me more about that, I can give a little bit more detail, but for the sake of those who are, might be listening, I'll keep it to that. So the younger son, as we see down the road, after he's wasted everything, realizes what he's lost. He tries to recover it on his own, like we do. He reaches the end of his own rope and comes to the realization that he needs to come back home. And so this is where I'm going to pick up in our reading today. So I'm going to read 15, 17 through 20. It starts with, when he came to his senses, this is the younger son, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father, say to him, this is something that he's been thinking about, rehearsing, this is his One shot that he has. I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. He knows how lost he is. He knows he has no hope left. He has no money left. He has none of the friends that had been hanging out with him left. They've all turned their backs and gone. But he's asking his father something that I think is beyond what I would expect if I were in that situation. 
I don't know if I would go back home. I have betrayed my family. I've betrayed the trust of my family. I've betrayed my community. When you're looking at families in the Old Testament context, often they were, especially a wealthy family like this one is, they would be a huge infrastructure for the community. And so him, this son, taking half of what his father had, which means the father had to sell land, the father had to sell his possessions to get the money and then give it to him, it has shattered that community also, very likely. And a family is in financial ruin. And his brother, who is left, has to take care of everything that is left that his father had. So going home is a huge risk. And even more than that, asking to have his father allow him to be under his care again is another huge risk. His father has every right in my mind in how I would respond, which is difficult, to throw the son out, to reject him as he had rejected his father. That's what we would expect. He does not deserve anything from God. And so to ask for even this little amount of mercy is beyond what would be normal. So he knows he has lost his right, but he's going to go back anyway. He's going to give it a shot. And in this story, Jesus is talking about the sinners in the room. He's talking about often in our lives, you and me, along with the Pharisees. He's talking about how the sinners have come to realize what they have lost and how much sin has cost them, like Jill was talking about. Like the sinners eating with Jesus, we have a call to return home also. Whether it's a risk or not, we'll figure out as we continue to read. And we seek refuge with God like the sinners are. And then we have the opportunity to see and question and wonder how will God respond when we come back. Is God like us? I find myself wondering when I think about his mercy. Will he even give us refuge? Give us the opportunity to just come under his roof again? Or will he throw us out like I would expect him to? And like the Pharisees in the story expected him to. So let's continue on in Luke 15. And so I'm going to continue verse 20 to 24. But while he was still a long way off, the son is just on his way back, probably rehearsing this in his mind. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. This is one of the words that I was referring to when mercy is explained. So this can also be switched with mercy in the original language. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. That means restoring him to the family, the family ring back on his finger. And sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. The more I studied mercy through the scriptures, the more I was blown away by just how much God is willing to give for us. For the son and for the sinner who was lost, he runs to meet them. For some of you who are more familiar with the story, you might have heard at one time or another that men of good standing did not run in that time. The father doesn't care. He says, I'm going to run to my son. He's moved by both justice and love in grace. He seeks to see his son return to his family's position. While the son is still speaking what is true, that he does not deserve to be his father's son anymore. His father says, stop. I have something else for you. The father, God, in this story, makes his lost son, which is what we have an opportunity to be a part of, sinners like us, alive again, 
which is mind-boggling mercy. He doesn't just bring him in either. Because he could just bring him in, give him a home, give him a place to sleep. He probably looks hungry. He doesn't just bring him in. He gives him a home again. He restores him to his position. He doesn't punish him as far as we can see in this story. He celebrates because what is lost in his home again. That is the picture of mercy that we see in this story. For me, after reflecting again, mercy is just more and more mind-blowing to me. I can't wrap my head around it because it just doesn't make any sense. And it seems impossible to understand. And I think that's the point. We aren't supposed to understand God's mercy. We can't. It is beyond us. God's display of mercy that is being shown here is a show of love. And it's the mercy that we long for when we are far and when we are close and when we are anywhere near God. This is not something that was new in this story or new with Jesus. And so I want to look back just in the history of the Bible a little bit to paint this picture. In the beginning, Adam and Eve sinned against God. They were terrified. They hid. But God gave them mercy when he clothed them and sent them out with a place to be. The major prophets, the majority of what the Bible is from like here all the way up until Jesus comes, spoke about mercy and begged for it for the people of Israel and for God's people so they wouldn't be destroyed. David is constantly asking for God's mercy in the Psalms. He says, have mercy on me, O Lord, more times than I could count. I searched mercy and I found like 50 references to it in Psalms. It's David's cry. In Psalm 23, David requests that goodness and mercy follow him all the days of his life. Beggars, Canaanites, blind men, those who were forgotten and most lost in Jesus' world came to Jesus and said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He offers mercy to us because it is his nature and it has always been God's nature, consistently through scripture. And what's even more mind-blowing, just to keep pushing the envelope a little bit, he offers mercy to people who don't repent. He offers mercy to people who do repent, but also to those who don't repent. It is not repentance that creates God's mercy. It is a part of his nature. It is his characteristic. Blowing my mind even more, Romans says this, Romans nine fourteen through 16. What then shall we say because of God's mercy? Is he unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. Mercy is given freely. I hope that you hear that today. It's because of Jesus' sacrifice. But now we come to a question because if this mercy exists... We have to respond in some way. We can't just ignore it. We can't just look the other way, and we have a little bit more of the story to read. We're not quite done yet. How do we think about God's mercy for us? Does it move us to be thankful? Do we understand what God's mercy shows? And how do we think about God's mercy for others? And so we'll continue on in 25 to 30 here. Jesus is telling this story to the Pharisees also, and so they're in the room. He's telling it to churchgoers. He's telling it to people who understand God and who think they've got it all figured out. He's telling it to me, and he's telling it to some of you also. And so when we look at this story, the son hears the good news, and so I'm going to read it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. He has no idea what's going on. He is completely out working for his father like he should. 
When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. He was curious. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf, and he has him back safe and sound. Oh, what good news. Not to the older son. The older son became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. Hmm. What does this restoration mean for the older brother? Why is he so angry? It's a fair question to ask because this isn't how I would expect somebody to respond. If I heard my sister was home and restored back to how she should be, I don't think I'd be angry. I'd be overjoyed. I'm way over the moon in that, but that's just not how he reacts. Let's just think about why. His brother has taken half the family's money and blown it and is now part of the family again. That's a hard thing to come to terms with. Without consulting the older brother, the father has again divided the inheritance. By restoring the younger brother, he's divided it in half again and given it to him again. The father has acted lavishly and mercifully, and the older son doesn't understand or agree with him. This is not right in his mind, and I get it. I can understand. If that were the case, that'd be really hard. The older son has been faithful, has never betrayed the father, has served the father his entire life. Why would the younger son get what he has? How is that right or fair? And this brings a question that we have to wrestle with because it's something that I have noticed in our world, especially with those who are following Jesus the closest. How do we respond to God's mercy for others, especially those who we don't think deserve it? I found myself asking, what gives God the right to be merciful to those people? To kind of wrestle through this a little bit more, I'm going to go quickly because I realize it is a beautiful day outside. And for me to keep talking would be a waste of a lovely evening. I'm going to go a little bit quicker. So this is Jonah 3, and I'm going to go 10 through 4, but it'll be quick. When God saw what they did, this is the people of Nineveh, Assyrians, who Jonah was sent to to ask them to repent, and they repented. When God saw what they did and how they relented and turned from their evil, he relented and did not bring destruction on them. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Sound familiar? And he became angry. He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing Tarshish. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. What a reaction. For it is better for me to die than to live. But the Lord replied, and this is a question for us, is it right for you to be angry? We love the attributes of God, I believe. I do, when they benefit me and when they benefit us. What about our enemy? It's a question we have to ask. That's literally who Jonah was sent to preach to, our enemies, physical enemies. What about those we consider beyond saving, those who are outside of the box, can't have a chance? What about those that if God were to show mercy to, we'd have to share the kingdom with? What about people like that? 
So we're left with wondering, how does God call us to respond? And I hope that I can bring some sense to this because it is a difficult situation. I'm going to read Micah 6, 8. And Bjorn read it last week. And I hope we can find a little bit of answers in here. And so, this is what Micah 6, 8 says. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, as we talked about last week. To love mercy. And to walk humbly with your God. He has shown us what is good and what he asks of us. He asks of us to love mercy. God loves mercy. He loves it for you and for me and for everybody. God loves, not just loves mercy, but he loves loving mercy. Read through the scriptures. I encourage you to. There's times where God just goes above and beyond like crazy. Jonah knew it. I think that's the struggle for him. He knew it, but he didn't love it. He needed to love it. God responds to Jonah with a plant at the end and shows him a little bit of a picture of what the people mean to him. And then God says that in the end, why would I not show mercy to these people? God calls Jonah to understand his worldview. And God calls us to embrace his perspective of mercy. It's a difficult one. It's beyond our understanding. We can embrace it. He wants to help us love mercy also and experience his mercy for us. It pushes away the fear. It pushes away the judgment. It is a kind of compassionate love for others that we can have also. It's not just a God attribute. God desires justice and love. And Bjorn said last week, where there is justice and love, grace is the result. Mercy is the action of a gracious God and can be the action of us when we embrace mercy, justice, and love. So hear the words of Jesus to the Pharisees in the end of the story and experience his call to love his mercy, to love a part of who he is, and to love him ultimately. So I flip back to Luke 15 here. My son, he says, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. God is inviting us to receive his mercy for us. Even when the older brother doesn't repent, he's given it to him. He's giving him a chance. We don't know how the older brother responds. We don't get that picture. I think that's on us to figure out in our own lives. And so God's inviting us to receive his mercy like the younger son and love his mercy like the older son. And I'd love to pray for us that we can have an opportunity to do that. God, thank you for this picture of what is beyond my comprehension, a mercy that I cannot understand, a love I can't wrap my mind around. I pray that I understand that it is for me also, even though I feel like I might have everything figured out, but I need it. I pray that I understand that you want to teach me to love your mercy. And I pray that we all can be a part of that. And so... Help us to lean into this this week and process it together. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.